welcome, friends. Welcome to those here and those watching online. And a special welcome to our Scout families and, of course, to our Mexico mission trip and all of their fans. It's great when we can come together and share our lives on Sunday that flow out to the world. You know, we are in February with a new memory verse. Those of you who were here last week were introduced to that verse. It's a short one. Do we have it up on the screen? No? Do we remember it? It is. <laughs> there we go. So let's repeat it together. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Hmm. Easy to say, hard to apply, right? It's part of that complicated balance of how we understand God's love and God's grace for each of us. Both are a free gift to us from God. By God's grace, we are saved by faith. And yet a true sign of God's grace working through us, that it's alive in us, that it flows out in what we do and what we say in our works in the world. And this morning, we're exploring another connection of God's grace, the interaction between freedom and love, or the entanglements of love, as I like to describe it. The Apostle Paul wrote that Christ has called us to freedom. That sounds good, right? Christ has called us to freedom. It's a great proclamation, but what does that look like in our lives? Apparently, Christian freedom doesn't look like living an independent life centered on ourselves and our needs. And our passage this morning explores this interaction between freedom and love. But first, let's pray. Dear Lord, you have brought us your word this morning, desiring that we know you better. So inspire us through your Holy Spirit to learn of your truth, to experience your love for us, transforming us for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So listen to Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that's an interesting passage, isn't it? What does it mean to be being called to freedom in Christ? Because this is the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. Being called to freedom is freedom from sin, freedom from feeling like you are not good enough, you are not worthy of love, freedom from feeling like you need to earn love. And this is the truth, that you are loved beyond measure by God, just as you are, just who you are right now. Friends, this is the truth that sets us free. But freedom, this freedom is for a purpose. The purpose is love. Our freedom was created through love. Because of God's love for humankind, for us, God absorbed all the sin and brokenness that would separate us from God by sending Jesus that full embodiment of God. So as people called to a new freedom, we need to explore the shape of this freedom. This freedom was embodied by Jesus, tangibly and spiritually. 
So how do we embody freedom in our own lives in tangible ways? So what does it mean to be free for people who are formed to be in community, who are formed to thrive in a structure? What is freedom for those who are created and wired to live with other people? We are to seek our freedom by two things, by seeking our unique purpose instead of self-indulgence, and to center ourselves on Jesus' love as we mutually share love with one another. The Apostle Paul tells us in this passage that our freedom purpose is not self-indulgence. And our Bible uses the English word self-indulgence. The original Greek word describes flesh, being driven by the flesh. So being driven by the flesh, it's different than good self-care. Good self-care of nurturing the gift of our life. Being driven by our flesh is thoughtlessly reacting with base instinct, mindlessly consuming to fill our inner hunger. You know, mindlessly consuming reminds me of that classic children's book. You know it, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Eric Carle, a classic. You might remember early one Sunday morning, the tiny egg opened and a very hungry caterpillar came out. He's free and he's hungry, so he searches for something to eat. And for the following five days, Monday through Friday, the very hungry caterpillar eats through a whole bunch of fruit. Apples on Monday, two pears on Tuesday, three plums on Wednesday, four strawberries on Thursday, and five oranges on Friday. But each day he's still hungry. It isn't enough. And on Saturday, do you remember Saturday? Saturday is where he goes all out. He eats chocolate cake, ice cream, a pickle, Swiss cheese, salami, a lollipop, a piece of cherry pie, a sausage, a cupcake, a slice of watermelon. Some of those sound kind of good. But later that day, he gets a stomach ache. And then the next day on Sunday, he eats a green leaf. You know, that's what caterpillars are designed to eat, right? Green leaves. And he builds a cocoon around himself. And you know what's, what's next. He's transforming for his grand purpose. He pushes his way out, and he emerges as a butterfly. There he is. That was his purpose. And like the caterpillar designed to eat a nice green leaf, we're designed for a purpose. Our freedom is designed for a purpose, inviting us to love and be loved, to spread our wings into the world. Jesus calls us to freedom, freedom from mindless consumption, pointless seeking out of things that don't satisfy our inner yearning to be loved. You know, I've read this book probably hundreds of times over the years to children and then grandchildren, but I just noticed this week one thing. This week I noticed that the caterpillar, caterpillar hatches on a Sunday. And he comes to his senses and eats a nice green leaf on Sunday. Not a donut hole, but work with me. <laughs> he starts his journey to becoming his full self on a Sunday. Sunday he is born, and Sunday he starts this journey of self-change. It's kind of like us, right? Only we're not solo caterpillars, I know. Metaphors fall apart. We're people. We're people who are connected in a purpose to each other. 
Our freedom is wrapped up with each other. Our purpose is wrapped up with one another. We're formed for love. We're cocooned in love. That's our caterpillar butterfly, or se butterfly self. So freedom is not the absence of human entanglements. Entanglements are the means by which freedom becomes meaningful and lived out. Freedom is its separation from relationships, and you can see this on a family unit level. Whether it is your biological family or your chosen family, imagine if you were completely unencumbered and you could do anything you wanted because you had no one or nothing that you were bound to. It'd feel like a movable, solitary confinement, wouldn't it? Sounds like a prison of loneliness, not so free. And as we imagine on a broader societal perspective, how do we understand freedom if others around us aren't free? Are we truly free? Perhaps others are enslaved by political or economic or psychological factors. Should we be free to not care? Our passage teaches us that love helps guide us in what to do and what not to do in our freedom in Christ. We are to embrace love and mutuality centered on Jesus, centered with one another on Jesus. Do we remember what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, that last meal with his disciples? Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And you can see where I emphasize one another. No, your Bible is not underlined that way, or maybe it is, because we've talked about this in church before, that some 60 or so commands in the New Testament use this word, all, alion, one another, meaning mutuality and interdependence for those in the community of faith. And our passage leans on this idea of interdependence and mutuality it can cut both ways. It can build up or it can tear down to harm. Our verse 13 uses the same word, through love, become slaves to one another. Verse 15 is where it cuts that other way. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Because mutual love builds up and mutual biting and conflict destroys us. We know this, right? We've seen it. As I studied this passage this week, as I thought about my own life, looking at the interactions between the one another's in our passage, I was reminded of the Cartman drama triangle. It's developed by a psychiatrist, Stephen Cartman. He was from San Francisco. This depicts where we are drawn to extremes instead of mutual love and care. I've shared this before in a couple of settings, so if you've seen it before, it bears repeating because it's so helpful. So the points of the triangle correspond to polarized roles that we might play. The persecutor abuses power over another, maybe using their freedom in wrong ways to oppress or self-indulgent ways or reactive ways. The rescuer abuses power, and you think that sounds strange, but they do because they may seem selfless, but they're defined by saving another, not by empowering them or loving them. And they may not value their own needs, 
their own health. Then you have the victim in the other corner, the victim or the martyr, who abuses power, sometimes, by claiming to be the powerless one, not accountable to others for their own actions, not responsible for the drama. And victims can stay in that place, if indeed they don't have a lot of power, or maybe they react and they become the perpetrator. We see this when conflicts escalate, don't we? We see it on a big political spectrum, we see it on an individual spectrum. One feels attacked, and so they bite back, and pretty soon they devour each other. Paul describes this as biting and devouring each other, consuming one another. Well, and then staying in the victim place isn't a good choice either, because to be bearing the cross in freedom doesn't mean to endure abuse and victimhood, but living genuinely for others, out of our own freedom, loving and claiming that inheritance of freedom for each other, joining people in their experiences. Loving our neighbors as ourselves means that the love of self is also equally important. There's a balance there. So the challenge is to stay centered. So what is at the center? Church, you know the answer. What is at the center? Jesus. You probably knew that answer, right? And what does this remind you of? I was remembering Pastor Dave's regular reminder to us that we're to stay centered on Jesus, not focused on the edges or the margins, because it's here where we find balance, where we can love our neighbor as ourself. Here we are centered in the mutuality of love, slaves to each other in love, loving others as ourselves. But we always have that caution, right? In our humanity, we have to watch out when we go to the edges. It's easy to fall into uh, escalation, right? It's so easy to fall into victim and persecutor. We see how easy that is in our society, right? Have any of you seen that Netflix series, Beef? Just me? Yeah. It's an extreme example of escalation. And it has a church moment, too, which I think is really telling for us. It's about two strangers, Amy and Danny, whose involvement in a road rage incident escalates into this pronounced feud. They go back and forth from victim to persecutor and back and forth again because they find out each other's identity and they keep escalating fueled by the desire to win, to shame the other. But in the end, they risk their lives and they lose many things that are meaningful to them. And it reminded me of Paul's words, you bite and devour each other. Take care that you're not consuming each other. Well, they're flawed people. They're not bad people. But once they start, they just can't stop that escalation. And here's the part that's so sad to me. One of the church one of the, mem one of the uh, parties to this, the character Danny, he connects with his old church friend. He gets drawn in. You see he has this transcendent moment in church. He joins the band. And it's a sweet church, and it reminds me actually a lot of one of our lovely churches in the Presbytery. But here's the thing. Danny has this transcendent experience, but he's not truthful to them in it. He doesn't share what's going on in his life. He doesn't share what his life is really like. He presents a different image than his true life. And I wonder if being truthful would have helped 
if being truthful would have helped him stop the escalation that kept cycling down. Because in this escalation of rage between Danny and Amy, they finally reached this place of losing so much and almost their lives. And they reach a moment where they recognize in this they have something in common. And if you watch it, you might see the way the heat of retaliation can lead people astray. Maybe you've not experienced it to these extremes, but you might recognize some of that impulse to escalation. And that isn't true freedom. That's enslavement. So how about us, church? How do we use our freedom? And how do we understand our interdependence, all centered on Jesus? Is our freedom attached to a purpose? Is it one that's congruent with God's love flowing through you? Or do we use our freedom to consume maybe an appetite for something, or maybe to numb yourself? Sometimes we consume to numb ourselves because we feel we're in that victim quadrant. Or are you a martyr? Do you lose yourself in what others need? Do you have bad boundaries where you don't have time for self-care? Do you need the loving truth of the community to help you? Are you in a drama triangle, reacting and escalating? So this week, this week, this Wednesday, we step into Lent, that holy season. And I invite you to consider these questions. Consider the one who invited you into freedom, all for the sake of love. Consider if you are centered on that love in your life. Friends, let's stay centered on Jesus. And church, can I have an amen? Amen.